0: Welcome to Woman's Zone, connecting women through their stories. It started in 2003 as a personal journalistic project to create a portfolio of healing journeys. But the stories that Marina Cantacuzino was hearing grew into something so much more. In 2004, she mounted an exhibition called The F-Word, showcasing these restorative narratives. Well, the exhibition attracted so much interest as a peace-building tool that soon after she founded the Forgiveness Project, established to share stories of forgiveness in order to build hope, empathy and understanding. Well, 20 years later, she's written a book called simply Forgiveness and Exploration, a word that no one can quite agree on. I'm Nancy Richards, and when Marina came to visit the Women's Library at Artscape, I asked her
1: what was her response when asked to define the word. I say that I have different definitions all the time, and I pick on my favourite. And I actually heard a very well-known professor in America who was a complete cop-out, really. He's... His definition was freedom. He said, i come down to one word, freedom. And he obviously had spent years trying to define it. So, well, what I tend to think of... The way I sort of understand it in my mind and my heart is that it is making peace with people or things that we simply cannot change. So it's a reconciling of the pain or reconciling with the person which will ease the pain. But there's a key ingredient that goes in there which... Isn't in my definition, which is that it requires a degree of empathy and compassion for the person who's harmed you. That is like the—it's the part of, of the process that makes it different to letting go and acceptance. It, you know, the empathy and compassion element is what forgiveness is, and and is what makes it so difficult. Mm-hmm. And what makes it so difficult as an
0: act, but also so difficult to define, is that it's, it's different with every crime, you might say. You know, like a punishment fits mm-hmm. the crime, the forgiveness fits the mm-hmm. crime, or harm, as you call it, which would, it's a better way of saying it. But before we delve more into it, because you have yeah. so many stories yeah. around and about forgiveness... What about you? How did you come to this? I mean, I understand that you were a journalist and it started out as a personal project. Explain.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've got no big story myself, which I think actually has helped me sort of carry all the other stories. But as a journalist, I did a lot of first-person pieces, which was long interviews and then writing up in the voice of the person. And often they were about people who had suffered and were coming through it, and how they were coming through it. So when, in 2003, the Iraq War happened, and I felt rage because of it, I thought, what can I do as a, you know, a journalist with a small voice, was a feature writer? And I thought, yeah, I'll just start trying to collect stories which are countercultural, which go against this narrative of revenge and tit-for-tat and payback. Um, which was being spoken by politicians and repeated in the media everywhere. And, of course, the Iraq War was an act of revenge, as it was seen, for 9-11. So I was doing a lot of travelling with a photographer, and together we just, over the course of a year, collected 26 stories, and they were from victims and survivors of crime and violence and terrorism who had not gone down the vengeful route, who had embraced... You know, compassion for the person who'd harmed them or met them. Many of the stories were restorative justice, where the victim and offender come face to face. And over the course of that year, I also really wanted and did talk to perpetrators, former perpetrators. I wanted to understand how you transform aggression into a force for peace. Many of them were activists in the peace world. You know, how had that sort of change occurred And then that became an exhibition which I called the F-word exhibition. The F-word because by now I knew what a contentious subject it was in very contested territory as well. People were either affronted by it or inspired by it. Everyone had an opinion about it. Everyone had a different definition of it. I also over the course of that year realised I didn't want to any way push forgiveness or make it seem like you had failed in some way if you couldn't. That was really, really important to me. I thought if I don't, if, if that was what people took away from reading these stories, being exposed to these narratives, then I would have failed. I wanted to open up a place of inquiry the conversation. Yes, well you certainly did because I think the exhibition, the F word exhibition
0: piqued a huge amount of interest mm-hmm. but just staying with the stories for a moment so you, you and a photographer travelled around and found these stories how did you, I mean as a journalist I can imagine how you found the stories but did you, were you were actively seeking out stories that ended in forgiveness where com- forgiveness was a, p- a component and how did you find or did they come to mm-hmm. you?
1: Well initially I had to look And one led to the other, led to the next, basically. Of course, I did a little bit of research around it. And it was very much dependent on where we travel, because we were travelling for work. So we went to Israel, Palestine, we went to Northern Ireland, America. We were there. You know, there are loads of countries, I'm afraid to say, we haven't covered in any way. So this is not, um, you know, it's an anecdotal approach in the sense that certain conflicts and harms are not covered it has to be that way, and yet it is very, very broad-reaching. I think.
0: Interesting. Sorry, it stopped you in your tracks
1: there. No, so right. I was just going to say something about Desmond Tutu actually, because he was quite instrumental.
0: Yeah, he was, I'm, he was enormously instrumental. I, I'm going to get to Desmond Tutu, but it's interesting that you mentioned Palestine, Israel, and Northern Ireland and South Africa, all of which are sort of hotspots, you know, flashpoints of of anger and difficulties and vengeance and all those sort of things which in itself is interesting, but your book doesn't just focus on the big stuff. There, there's some very ordinary stories.
1: So you were, you were embracing all sorts of stories. You weren't just looking for the headlines. No, that's absolutely right, because I obviously didn't want just... You know, if I was going to reach people, which was the aim, really, and to make it very accessible... I also wanted it to touch people's lives. And there's a tendency, you know, with these big hotspots and difficult crimes, extreme acts of violence, that people will say, well, that's all very interesting, but that doesn't impact my life and that's not about me. So, yes, over the years of collecting stories, there have been some, and certainly in the book, to do with family breakdowns and relationship breakdowns, and and even within the bigger stories of the smaller stories, the everyday stories of grievance and resentments. And actually people have said to me again and again when they've read a story, say, about a woman forgiving the murder of her sister by serial killers which is you know it's it's an extraordinary story because it's so forgiveness is so well articulated by the sister but people can relate even though it's something that they've never experienced thank god what she says about forgiveness and about healing and recovery people understand it to the things that they're dealing with in their own life so i think the bigger stories can inform the smaller stories as well
0: Well, they do say of a story is when you listen to somebody else's story, your own story sort of rolls along in the back of your mind. Going back to the F word, the exhibition, which presumably was a series of the stories with photographs, very difficult to synthesize those stories into something short because each and every person who's either the forgiver or the forgiven would have had to go through a long journey. Did you find that
1: when you were getting the stories, you reached them at the end of their journey? I did. I think that's part of the reason why they, you know, I think these are very hopeful stories because they're about resolution and about rec- reconciliation, whether it's a reconciliation within or without, and they're about recovery and hope. But, you know, there's tough subjects there, and it doesn't all end happily necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of pain along the way, but I think I call them restorative narratives, actually, and that's a very... That's a definition that I'm very comfortable with because a restorative narrative focuses on empathy, compassion, healing and the trajectory would be, you know, to move from hate to hope from bitterness to meaning-making so there's, there's a journey there and that people can see some sort of process unfolding. I long to
0: highlight individual stories, but just to talk more generally for the moment. You talk about empathy and compassion and remorse and moving from hate to hope, but at the same time, if there is no remorse, and this can be a big issue in in many cases, the person who's perpetrated the injustice or the the harm is, is, has not sort of said, "Gee, I'm so sorry," and yet forgiveness is still possible for some. Question mark.
1: Well, for for some people, certainly it is. I mean, there are two ways of looking at it, and everyone's different, and everyone has different parameters and limits. But you'll get the people who believe in conditional forgiveness and therefore I think they would describe forgiveness as a change of heart whereby you relinquish anger and resentment in exchange for confession and contrition and that's very clear but then many people find that limiting no if I am waiting for confession and contrition it may never come that person may be dead they may be unable unwilling And therefore I'm still inextricably linked to the source of my pain. And in order to release myself from it, forgiveness is a way of dealing and forgiveness is a way of resolving my pain. I mean, pain is the great motivator to forgive and there are other ways of dealing with pain and forgiveness is one of them. Let's just
0: come back to South Africa. We mentioned Archbishop, the late Archbishop um, Desmond Tutu, who was he was the embodiment of forgiveness. He himself, I think, has written a book about forgiveness, I think, with his daughter. Yeah. But uh, how much time did you spend in South Africa, and did you harvest a lot of stories here? It feels to me like you, you did. But he was a patron. How? In what way yeah. was he instrumental in helping with the Forgiveness Project?
1: Well, when I was here for work, I was doing something for Oxfam, and with... The photographer who had agreed to do this project with me because we weren't paid for it. It was literally we had to do it in our spare time. So we stayed on a couple of days and came to Cape Town and I just rang the office and said is there any chance of meeting Desmond Tutu? This was right at the beginning and amazingly yes come and meet him and it wasn't a long meeting at all but in that I tried to get his story actually but he said no I'm not sharing my story. I've heard and and carry the weight of so many stories through the TRC, it would be completely wrong for me to offer my story, which is nothing in comparison to their pain. But I will tell you what I think about forgiveness, which was, you know, it was great. And then he was very encouraging, and he told me about an organisation, Israel-Palestine, called the Parent Circle, which is made up of bereaved family members from both sides of that conflict. And he said you must go there, and indeed, we did go there. And then I came back again another time, and I met him again, and he suggested someone else for me to see, Father Michael Lapsley. And then, also, he was in London when the launch was, because he was coming because he was a professor at King's University in London. Happened to be there just when we launched the F Word exhibition in January 2004. And I was told he wouldn't be able to come, but he turned up. I was told you would stay 10 minutes, but he stayed nearly an hour. Oh, no. And he found it absolutely wonderful, because I'd managed to get a little bit of funding to bring over 12 storytellers and bring them to the venue. And we had two days of unbelievable interest from the press. But also, these people were able... People who were in the exhibition, and some of them had planted bombs, and others had had family members who'd been killed in bombs. And, you know, there's a story of female genital mutilation you know it was very broad it wasn't just violence war and it was crime as well but anyway it was twel- about 12 people and they described it as this incredible healing space that they never experienced before being together spending two days in the among the exhibition talking to people about their stories and it was Desmond Tutu did it and all of these storytellers were encouraging encouraging me to to, take, to do something with it I wasn't going to, I was just going to carry on with journalism and go back to it but I thought I have to, this is something like I've never experienced I was in my you know, early 40s then and I just thought this is the next part of my life you know, I need to d- do something much more profound with this work yeah. than just leave it
0: Yes, absolutely. Because it is—it's a way of bringing, it's a way of introducing peace. And I yeah. think, which is, you know, your first reaction to the, to the war with what birthed it, and in a way, this this helps bring peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, just coming back to South Africa, what's interesting about Desmond Tutu Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the TRC was the. the Individual forgiveness, as opposed to collective forgiveness, and one of the things that you point out in the book is that the thing about forgiveness is it can almost be an endorsement. If a whole, you know, sw- a whole sort of generation of black people were to forgive white people, it would in- endorse it. It would it would give them the, um, you know, permission to carry on. So there's, th- 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 it's very nuanced, isn't it?
1: It's very nuanced, and I think it becomes highly problematic and difficult when we do talk about intergroup forgiveness, collective forgiveness, institutional forgiveness. It works on an individual level. It works on a community level as well. I think for sectarian violence, when people are coming back together and living in the same communities again, where once they were trying to kill each other, you have to have a kind of element of forgiveness because otherwise people are not going to live peaceably and there's going to be further violence. So, I mean, I'm interested in Rwanda, actually, where it's the one place where I could find where... um, You know, a a government had basically encouraged its citizens to forgive in order to move on. But they did say very clearly to forgive the ordinary citizens who took up arms and not to forgive the planners. And there was then some interesting research that was done where they divided survivors and victims into two groups. With one group, they gave them some background information about what made these people, their neighbours, their Hutu neighbours, pick up machetes and come into their house and hack them to death. And the other group weren't given that. And what emerged was the group had been given the materials of the background and understood the psychology. They were much more willing to forgive. And that was because they longed to see these people as human beings who had made terrible mistakes because they had been essentially brainwashed by the state and not see them as just Evil personified. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so it comes back to your word empathy, but it's also about understanding. If you can try and get Mm. into the mind of of Mm, the perpetrator, whether it's a a relation or a a stranger, you know, that will help. There's also the difference that you point out uh, between real forgiveness and fake forgiveness. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, I forgive you. But you don't get there quickly. It really does require a great deal of introspection. And at the back, you've got, well, it's not really a DIY, but it, there are sort of stages, a bit like stages of grief. If you were to give anybody an ad- advice, and I'm sure people ask for it all the time, is there is there a manner in which it's easier or it's a quicker process than, than it might otherwise mm-hmm. be?
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, there are so many people have written about processes of forgiveness. You know, you've got your seven pillars, your ten steps, your four steps, your three this, and you know. And I sort of add to that, I suppose, by my last chapter, which is called the mechanics of forgiveness. Mm. And all of them are saying similar things, actually. And you can go on court. You know, there are people who desperately do want to forgive and can't, and want to explore it. There are others who, you know, it's not a word in their lexicon, nor, nor is it a territory they walk on or ever want to but let's assume someone does want to forgive but can't, you know, what would I say to them? I, th- You know, it's a bit of a cop-out, but I think I would say read the stories of those who've done it, you know people's beliefs and biases only shift when we hear the stories of others, and what I think I've tried to do is create, curate and collect stories which are going to give you many different perspectives, but ultimately there are some key components in there, and I suppose if you're distilling those components. They would be curiosity. Curiosity is vital. You know, you're talking about understanding. You have to go beyond your own sort of black and white blinkered thinking in order to understand how others live and move beyond our own echo chamber and our own little limited moral circle and listen to people who are different to us and whose beliefs we don't agree with and actually have conversations which are about why do you feel so deeply about that rather than I totally disagree with you? That's a terrible thing to think. <laughs> you know, to sort of open up the sort of soft wire, call it. Yeah. Um, and that in turn produces, and there's been some research around forgiveness here to do with perspective change, is that the focus changes, the lens changes, you reframe what you see. Um, and that, of course, develops into having empathy. compassion for the person who's harmed you walking the shoes of others no matter how ill-fitting or dirty those shoes may be and that allows you it's not linear necessary i'm making it sound like it is but that allows you to sort of shed some of that resentment that you're holding and carrying which may lead to forgiveness or reconciliation
0: it's quite biblical in some senses isn't it but uh, you know, we talk about forgiveness like it's a nice to have. You know, uh, well, that would be nice. It'd be nice to forgive and be nice to be forgiven. But actually, if you don't forgive, the consequences that you outline as well uh, can be very—they can be um, life life threatening because you can harbour anger. I think there's one instance where somebody uh, relates their their cancer, their disease, towards. You know, supporting all this anger because they wouldn't forgive. Mm-hmm. So one has to
1: look at the consequences of what if there is no forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be very clear about that though. I mean people talk about unforgiveness as if it is the opposite of forgiveness. Well it probably is the opposite of forgiveness but I don't think it necessarily mean it works for some people. It doesn't necessarily mean you're tormented by bitterness and spite and contempt and you ruminate the whole time about the harm that's been done to you Um, but if that is the case if you do hold your harm so close to you that you can't let it go it is damaging and there's lots of research that's gone into that and it ties into research about depression anxiety and stress we all know it affects your cardiovascular system it affects definitely your mental well-being your relationships your happiness in life—it's there's actually a really interesting piece of research which shows that it can extend longevity. To be able to to forgive, they did this sort of five-year study with 66 plus-year-olds um, about in within relationships, and they found that if you could forgive, and if you had a let's say if you had a forgiving mindset, were more predisposed to forgiving you would live up to three years longer. But when I looked more at the research, what I found was even more interesting. So actually it was unconditional forgiveness, not conditional forgiveness. Because conditional forgiveness required the person to change or ask for an apology, which was probably not forthcoming. And actually that just sort of rubbed salt into the wounds. But unconditional forgiveness, where someone had just decided... This person isn't going to change, but I have to accept them the way they are. They're doing the best they can. They didn't mean it, or, you know, whatever it was, they'd come to terms with what had happened. That was where the health benefits existed. Yes. Yes. Just coming back to South Africa, I can't help feeling that you would, it
0: would be very fertile territory for forgiveness and unforgiveness, for all the obvious reasons here. But one of the, one, one of the stories that you, you gleaned was that of Ginferi and Litlapa and Patlele it was the Heidelberg bombing, I think it was. It was a good few years ago now, but that turned into a very iconic story of forgiveness. Can you just share it with us?
1: Yes. Um, well, yeah. as you say, her daughter was killed in the Heidelberg bombing, and some years later, Lapa didn't go to the um, TRC. He was one of those who felt that um, he had nothing to apologize for because he was fighting a war and he published a book, and when Jin heard about this book, which was launched here in Cape Town, she was furious. She was going to turn up. How dare he write a book? Well, she turned up, and she listened to what he said in the audience, and actually a lot of what he said she agreed with, and, you know, and it ended up with her taking him aside afterwards and saying, introducing herself and them having a really powerful conversation Um, And she said it would have been so much easier if he'd been a devil with horns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But she saw his humanity and he saw hers. And they built a relationship over years now where they've done work together to build bridges, to talk about, um, they don't talk about reconciliation, they talk about conciliation because there's no, you know, they were never reconciled before. So how can he do it again? But what's also interesting, he says, it would be easier not to be forgiven, let Lapa, because it's a high bar for him to always behave in a way that deserves Jin Furi's forgiveness. But he also says it shook his heart to the roots. And he rediscovered his humanity through the gift of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. The other thing about the story that's interesting, he never, initially at the beginning, I don't quite know if he has since, he didn't apologise, and Jin would say, you know, a lot of her friends were very critical of this, no apology, you know, this is appalling. But she said, words are empty. His apology is going to be through deeds. He wants to build back a better South Africa with me and with others. You know, and that's what he's tried to do. Yeah, gosh.
0: Yes, and the, the point there, uh, one of the sort of um, side points there is that, you know, some people can't forgive forgivers, uh, you know, f- for doing it because everybody has a different approach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But just when you that's mentioned right. something about the bar, the bar there, it made me think of prisons, and I'm thinking, yo. <laughs> Um, behind bars, there must be so many people longing for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There are many very high-profile cases here. I think Chris Harney's daughter went to see um, the, her father's assassin in prison. I think there are many such instances, but maybe not enough. Do you think it would make a, a difference into the, you talk about restorative justice, mm-hmm. to the justice system
1: if there were more attempts to, to sort of enforce forgiveness? Enforce is <laughs> not the right word, but... Well, I think the most important thing to say about restorative justice, which is where a a victim meets an offender or the family member meets the person who's hurt, another family member, um, is that forgiveness should never be an objective. I mean, it may well be an outcome, but in a way, forgiveness grows in a space of conversation not where anyone mentions it. In fact the more you, there is again more research which shows the more you mention forgiveness the less likely it is to occur. But the more you create safe spaces for people to have restorative conversations the more likely forgiveness will happen. So that's that's really inter- interesting but a lot of them, the stories that I've collected have had a restorative justice element to it. Sometimes planned, sometimes haphazardly people meet and some of them form relationships in the sense of even friendships that go on and model what is possible to all the rest of us.
0: And you mentioned model, and I'm reminded there of the story of the woman who had an affair with Mick Jagger, who famously wrote a letter of apology to Jerry Hall, model, um, and it was published in the newspaper, but she was very angry because Jerry Hall never got back to her to say thank you. But but it was, you know, that sort of forgiveness or that sort of... you know cry for help is you know if you make it public it's not yeah. sure, you know it's not the point forgiveness I suppose should be a, a private thing to a certain extent but coming back to you know where we started with which was with you it seems like a very delicate psychology that you've been dealing with here each and every person is very damaged, damageable their nerve endings are right to, you know even if it happened long ago th- these sort of crimes this sort of damage can stay with a person for a very long time have you personally found it very difficult to, to listen to stories without either being judgmental or, or saying well what about this or it must have been very difficult for you to be a complete silent absorbent sponge
1: and then, uh, it, partly because the stories always have an element of goodness. wow how is that possible yeah goodness hope you know recovery uh, and I I feel excited by them mostly that's the main element I have after I've talked to someone a sort of God. and sometimes someone explains something to me and I think oh yes that's a brilliant way of putting exactly what I've been thinking about you know that's that's what forgiveness is or that's what restoration is or uh, that's why apology is so important you know they say things and It it fires me up, actually. And I think the other reason is that as a journalist, I had... I was sort of... Not exactly inured, but I was trained. And then I think as a human being, I was trained. As um, a child, I grew up in a family where my brother was terminally ill, and I knew he would die. So I think I was comfortable. Sadness and loss was familiar to me. And it's always been territory that's felt... I felt at home with people, other people's suffering. Mm
0: -hmm. One of the most difficult questions you
1: explain in the book
0: that you're asked when people talk about self forgiveness, because it's one thing to forgive somebody else, but to forgive
1: yourself, very difficult. Mm -hmm. A book in itself. Oh, yes, it is actually, you're absolutely right. Um, So I have got a chapter on self forgiveness, and it's really what really interested me that a lot of people said, oh, that was their favourite chapter. So you know I had no i still don 't quite know why that is, and I think it 's probably because we 're all wrestling with it, and it probably is the most difficult thing and I think it 's particularly difficult because it goes it centers in on our identity, and um, we like to be seen as morally sound, and when that is threatened, it makes us feel very exposed, and also most of us, not all but most of us you know are troubled by our failures and our phobias and our what-ifs and if-onlys and and to to forgive yourself you have to go you have to go in you have to do some work you have to sort of it's about self-discovery and about self-awareness um carl roger said it wasn't until i understood myself that i could change myself and he did you know he was a very famous psychotherapist he did years of of that kind of work on himself. And if and and Roger Richard Rohr, the spiritual sort of writer, um he said if you do not transform your pain, you will most assuredly transmit it. Mm. So <laughs> hurt
0: people hurt yes. people. Yeah. Yes, it seems like there is, no, um, there is no end. You know, maybe forgiveness is not the goal, mm-hmm. but, the, but the journey is is going to get mm-hmm. you there. Just lastly, I, I think the F-Word exhibition grew into the Forgiveness Project, mm-hmm. and you've had support just not of the, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, also Gilly Forster, I think, and Dame Anita Roddick, the late Dame Anita Roddick. So they were oh. huge supporters. The project now, how does it work? Do people... Do they share their stories? Do they look for advice? Are there, are there forgiveness groups all
1: around the world? How does it work? Well, the way I describe the Forgiveness Project, which I no longer run, by the way, I've handed it over, but I'm still intimately involved, is that it's a platform of stories that heal, restore and rehumanize. A collection of storytellers who believe in using their story to create a more compassionate world and a movement of people who believe in peaceful solutions to conflict. And so while it's um, quite a small organization in that not many people run it, you know, it's very lean, <laughs> we do a lot of things. And, one, and, and it's, uh, stories are the key, are key, and are at the heart of it. We, the exhibition is in America and also in, used in Germany a lot in the uk gets used in multiple venues it's been to the eu it's been to hospitals shopping centers quite odd fair i love that you know very varied we do online events because of covid actually we were one of the sort of beneficiaries in a way of having to force ourselves to do stuff online and great because you get so many people around the world who can attend we've just done a whole series on self-forgiveness actually Mm -hmm. which are absolutely brilliant and then that becomes a kind of resource that we can keep using i made podcasts called the f word podcast we have had a prison program which we're now rolling out and it was it's called restore and it's it's when we started it it took ex-offenders and victims of crime into prison to share their stories and then encourage prisoners to share their stories and talk about forgiveness, create a conversation. And we've done work at schools as well.
0: And there's a lot more where that came from because the need is is only going to grow as the population mm-hmm. grows it, and as our mm-hmm. world becomes increasingly complicated, it's only going to grow. But very, very lastly, so the resource, which is the website and all the things that you've done and mm-hmm. the, the travelling mm-hmm. exhibition, but the resource is now tangible in the form of a book um, just simply called Forgiveness and Exploration. And I think... Uh, given that it's taken you 20 years to get this far putting together the book i believe you went off took yourself off to a little welsh croft, and and sat and wrote how difficult was it given that you had so much material yeah. that you knew so
1: intimately was it difficult to put it together well the difficult thing was i use each chapter um i start most of the chapters with an in-depth story and there would be have been multiple stories that i could have started that chapter with and Then I broaden out to sort of bring in ideas around it. It's bits of research of what philosophers or writers have said, or current affairs. And again, there were multiple things I could have used. And now, when I reread it, I think, oh, I've heard, oh, I could have used that. That would have been better. You know, I think all writers do that. But I was really so happy to write it actually, because otherwise, I kept little files on my laptop, you know, with ideas and. It was, it's just really nice to bring them out and give them light and air and get them discussed and to share some of the stories and, be, and you know, be reminded of what people have said. I mean people say um, extraordinary things that are, are very moving and I think very, very helpful to people.
0: Well, I'm sure there'll be another book one day but the son of forgiveness the daughter of forgiveness (laughs) if if anybody would like to know more they can buy the book which is a lovely book published by simon and schuster but if um they would like to check out your website what's the address yes that's
1: the the
0: and marina are you forgiving sort of a person
1: It, it seems to be it must be your middle name um i think i've always been a peacemaker I've had my moments of deep grudges and resentments. Luckily, I've worked my way through them. They haven't stuck to corrode or corrupt my character. I think overall, I probably am actually quite forgiving, but I'm not saying, uh, you know, probably no more than you. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so much oh. for all that you do. Thank you so oh. much. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you.
1: <laughs>